0: Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, Nicole DeBoom back here. We are about to enter into episode 156 uh hold on a minute 156 that's incredible i've been doing this podcast for a long time i have had 156 guests actually more than that because i did a series called mile repeats and those numbers aren't included in the 156 so it's more like 166 all of my guests are incredible people. All of them have left a huge mark on me and uh, probably on you too. And if anybody listening has listened to every single episode, please reach out to me. I'm going to give you something. I don't know what it is, but that's really cool. That's commitment. Um, I love the title of Lauren's episode. It is, it's never too late to take care of you. It's really resonating with me right now. I spend a lot of my life worrying about other people's happiness. Um, I recently, or I'm currently in the middle of an exercise we're doing on the Skirt Sports Women Who Move group on Facebook where we're going through a four-week sort of soul-searching program where we're going to end with some cool goals that we will try to make happen, let's get rid of the word try, that we will make happen this year in 2020. Um, and right, right now we're in week three, where we are summarizing the foundation for our goals. And basically you've taken all of these different experiences that you've shared throughout the first couple weeks of the exercise, and we're narrowing them down to a word or a phrase or a mantra that'll set the foundation for who we are right now that really feels aligned with us. And what I came to was a phrase, two words, create connection. That's what I feel I'm called to do in 2020, create connection. So how does that, <laughs> how does that relate to the title of today's episode, It's Never Too Late to Take Care of You? Well, guess what? Many times we think of connection as connecting with other people. And I think that's totally legit, and I want to do that. But also, I need to tap into the connection I have with my own heart, my own soul, my own body. And I'm taking the first step towards moving forward on this connect, uh, creating connections with myself by going to Costa Rica in a couple days. (laughs) You see, a couple years ago, I learned how to surf. It's something I'd always wanted to do, and I love it. I'm such a rookie beginner, but I can, you know, I've got a little bit of just natural feel and I've graduated to actually doing like baby waves. And so I'm just enjoying being new at something. And I know with something like surfing, when you live in Boulder, Colorado, which is basically almost the farthest point from a body of water that might actually have waves, I need to make it happen. No one's gonna make it happen for me. I'm in charge and I'm the only one who can do it. I'm responsible. So I booked myself a trip to Costa Rica. And in the past, I did this with groups. I did it on retreats with Colleen's Women's Quest, um, Colleen Cannon that is. And I, I turned photo shoots into part of the process and surfing was just sort of a byproduct of the trip. But I decided to turn that on its head. I am actually going there with Colleen Cannon, but not for a retreat. We are going to surf together and have some fun for a week. And I'm just going to enjoy what that feels like. I actually can't even tell you the last time I've done something like this just for me with a buddy. So that's, that's my take on today's title. It's never too late to take care of you. There's always a reason to put things off, to not do the things you want to do, or to not address the things that might be plaguing you. Addictions, um, coping mechanisms that are no longer healthy, uh, relationships. It's never too late to take care of you. Today, in just a second here, you are going to hear from Lauren Byhoffer. Lauren is a skirt ambassador. I met her through our community. She's also an ultra runner. As she describes herself, she is a trail sloth. She, she may be the slowest one out there, but she will always finish. She finds incredible joy in running. Running, in fact, has been part of her, one of her coping mechanisms on the path towards creating her ultimate health. And that means her mental health and physical health. You see, as she was growing up, um, as a young child, she started to exhibit signs of anxiety. But when we were young, she's in her late 30s now, doctors didn't really diagnose anxiety in little kids. And so she never really knew what it was. She just kind of learned how to handle living that way and feeling that way. And it wasn't until she was a mom of two adopted children from foreign countries, one of which was special needs, and one of her own natural children that she realized when her, her young son was exhibiting signs of depression and anxiety that she had never really taken it, taken, I don't know, accountability for her own mental health. So... It's not until last year that she went and started to get therapy and um, get on some much-needed medication and focus on her running and the other things that help her find that balance and happiness that she needs in order to help everyone around her also be happy. So here's the deal. It's a great conversation today. I love Lauren. I just... I feel very connected to her, even though we've never actually met in person. Um, I think her philosophies are, I don't know, they're unique, but they're relatable, you know, and, and I think that you're going to feel that too. So everyone get ready. It's a good one. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you do, just make sure that you get out there and share it with other people who need to hear this message today. (laughs) Awesome. So how was your morning?
1: Uh pretty good, pretty typical. But yeah, it's Friday, so pretty good.
0: What does that mean like typical morning for you?
1: Um well, <laughs> typical morning uh on the days I don't work, I'm still up. I've got three boys um that I've got to convince to get up out of bed so they can go to school. Uh so it's a little, you know, a little crazy in the morning trying to get right up and ready um and out the door. But as soon as we're over that hurdle, it's Friday, so Friday is like the only day of the week where we don't have after-school curricular activities, Um, so it's good. Friday's good.
0: So, like, how early do you start the process? Because I have one kid, and she's been a notoriously bad sleeper and waking up (laughs) really early, but now she's occasionally not waking up early, and then acting like she wants to sleep in and yeah. I don't know what to do about it. And invariably in the morning, get ready for school process, there hits a point where we're like, we just have to go.
1: Yes. Oh, yeah. Like, how it's, do we avoid every that? morning?
0: <laughs> you have that? Oh, my gosh.
1: Every morning. It's usually one, like one of the three is usually having a hard time. And so my kids are the same. Uh, you know, school morning, you literally have to drag them out of bed, but come Saturday morning, you know, it's 5am and they're up ready to party and, and I just don't get it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's tough cause you want them to sleep and not be grumpy, but you also don't want to be late. And so every morning it's in the shoes, like, where are your shoes? Why are your shoes missing? <laughs> Why are you totally. only have one shoe? Who oh knew that shoes are such a big deal? But yeah,
0: it's always... Oh my gosh. No, I totally get it. And what I think sometimes happens is we forget that we were kids and did the same thing. And so we act like this is (laughs) asinine behavior. Like you're the only kids that do this, but I think all kids do this. So just hearing that makes me feel a little better. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) Well, it's cool. You know, one of the things I want to talk about today was motherhood. Um, You're a skirt sports ambassador. So I got to know you through our community, which is so cool. Actually, maybe you can share how you came to find our brand
1: sure so um you know it was back several more than several years ago i guess and like most uh mother runners you know i started my journey working out and running and i started an instagram account uh as a way to kind of be accountable and to meet other women like me and so somewhere along the lines um in my early days of running i had Followed quite a few women who were just inspirational to me or interesting, ran in interesting places. Um, and one day, a couple of them were like, you've got to check out Skirt Sports. I think they were ambassadors and they were talking about a sale going on. Um, and this was right around the time where I was just buying random clothing, trying to find something to run in that felt good um, and look cute. And uh, I was like, hey, I'll just I'll give it a try. They're having to sell like these. Women I follow are always running in these cute skirts and talking about how much they love them So I thought I'd give it a try. So I bought something on clearance and uh, I got it and I was like, this is awesome I love it. And so it kind of snowballed into I started on a whim. I saw um, some some ladies I admire uh, talking about skirt sports so I decided to, to try one, and it totally snowballed into I have to have all the skirts. I love them. I can't run without one. <laughs> um, <laughs> they were cute, but they felt so good, and it was the it was the first time I found something that I really enjoyed running in, and that really just fit the bill in every way. So that's that's really it was just kind of uh, I just heard through the grapevine and decided to try.
0: Well, then our ambassador program is working and I have to say this just completely warms my heart. So very cool. You know, I think you totally are somebody who can understand the power of changing your attitude. And if it's just one little thing like that, it can make or break, you know, you even setting foot out the door to get on a run when you're not feeling like it.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah, totally.
0: Oh my gosh. Well, let's, let's go back in time a little bit. Um... So let's actually let's go back to the topic of motherhood that, you know, we were just about to start with. You mentioned it when kind of we were talking about the morning routines. You've got three kids. That's right. And it's really interesting because if if people go, oh, how old are your kids? And you're like, well, the first two are six months apart and then (laughs) people are like scratching their heads. So all the time. Um, I'd love to hear more about, you know, your journey into motherhood, what that looks like when it happened sure. and, uh, some of the, some of the challenges you've seen along the way.
1: Sure. So I would say that my journey into motherhood is a little bit different than a lot of other people's journey. Um, so I guess I was in graduate school. This was maybe like the year two thousand to 2003 and um we my husband and i had started looking at adoption and it was kind of um i know a lot of people kind of end up in adoption as maybe um after trying to have a family and and issues arising and it was actually something that was kind of on our minds before we even um set down to start having a family And so it was something we looked at and it turned out that um, because of some issues I was having um, in my health, it was going to be really difficult to try to conceive a child biologically. And so we just decided that um, since we'd already been interested in adoption and looking into it, uh, we wanted to spend our our time and effort pursuing adoption and not other uh, infertility treatments. So all that to say, uh, we started the journey to adopt, uh, we looked at a lot of different options and we ended up adopting a child from Vietnam. And that was, uh, he came home in 2008, uh, one year old at the time of coming home, um, and so that was, we were first-time parents. We kind of skipped the baby stage and were handed a one-year-old <laughs> halfway around the world and really didn't know what we'd gotten ourselves into. Um, and so, yeah, it was it was quite a journey. Can, and we,
0: can yeah. we pause for a sec? Sure. Can you um, talk a little bit about, like, what drew you to adopt in Vietnam? And, like, what did that process look like? Did you just have to be, like, on ready to fly over there at any given moment? You know, how did right. the actual
1: oh. final
0: parts of the adoption work?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's a long, stressful, expensive process, unfortunately. Um, and so I, you know, people ask me about that all the time. Um, why Vietnam? And, and how did you decide? And honestly, we were just looking at a lot of different options at the time. And Had come across that we'd come across some other people adopting from Vietnam, and it just felt Like that was where we were supposed to be it was kind of one of those experiences where you really can't describe it in words Um, We just knew that was that was where we were supposed to be and so um, The whole process is years. I mean it's there's nothing quick about it If anyone's ever done anything in the adoption world, you know, it involves paperwork, mounds and mounds of paperwork and uh, you know adoption agencies and having to get visas for your child. So it involves the US government, it involves the foreign government. and it is just a ton of time of waiting uh, and money and stress. And so um, for us we waited quite a while. Uh, we first saw our son's picture. He's about four months old. And so uh, we didn't get to travel to actually see him and hold him until he was a year old. And so that was tough emotionally. Um, and, yeah, you know, there's always problems when you have two different governments working together and you've got all these different agencies having to come together. Uh, and so it was tough. And um, we ran into some problems here and there just with paperwork and government agencies Finally, we get to travel and it really was uh, they gave us approval to go get our child and within 24 hours We were on a plane to Vietnam and after like 36 hours of travel time we got off the airplane and they took us straight to the orphanage (laughs) and plopped a cute little one-year-old boy in our hands and and that is how it happened. It was a whirlwind
0: and a whirlwind (laughs) Wow. So probably you're sitting there going, I have no idea if this is ever going to happen, or it's like a series right. of hopes up and then yeah, hopes absolutely. dashed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So so you bring him home. What's his name? His name is River. And how old is he now? He is
1: 12 years old right now.
0: Wow, cool. So you bring him home. And did you always know that you would want to adopt another child or were you just like, we're just gonna now settle in and see what it feels like to be parents.
1: Yeah, we definitely were overwhelmed. So it was all about settling in and figuring out like one how to be parents and two, like to a one year old that we don't know. Um, so it was a big learning curve and settling in. And I guess about a year or two later we really thought, okay, he needs a brother or sister. Um, we're going to adopt. Like for sure, we knew after the first adoption and going through it all, even though it was tough and it was expensive, um, we just knew that we absolutely wanted to adopt again.
0: Do you have like um, a founding like a foundational faith or spiritual philosophy that helps you, I don't know, tap into this feeling of just knowing?
1: Um, yeah, I think there is some of that. You know, our family, um you know, I was raised Christian, um, we all consider ourselves Christian. We're not very religious people. I would say we are very spiritual, um, but you know we're we're not really big into religion. Um, and I know a lot of people are driven by, you know, their religion to adopt, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I think it was some of that for us and then just it it's something unexplainable. We weren't really sure what was driving this, this desire. Um, but yeah, I think it probably played a role for sure.
0: Cause it's interesting, you know, I think this transcends the the situation we're talking about with adoption and children, but there are many times in our lives when something comes to the surface and we just know we have to pursue it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it was kind of that. And, um, I I feel like I was lucky because my husband was kind of on the same page. Like we both just kind of felt like it was what we were supposed to do. We were in agreement over it. Um, And so it just felt right. I don't know how to really pinpoint the words, you know. It's Mm -hmm. kind of like, how did you know it was time to start a family biologically? You know, you just get the feeling and and things rise up like you're saying. Sometimes we don't even know maybe where – where those feelings have arisen from, but we know it's something we want to pursue. And so it really was, you know, looking back, I try to piece it together, like, how did we end up where we are? And, you know, it is just a mixture of, you know, influences from people you're around, uh, things you see and hear, and then your own feelings, you know, that are sometimes unexplainable.
0: So let's then talk about child number two. Sure.
1: So a couple of years later, we decided, um, you know, after being in the world of adoption, a lot of people see adoption as it's all rainbows and sunshine and you know, you're, you're saving this little child, but really it's, it's so different. It is, is not like that in any way. Um, what I tell people is adoption is really a tragedy on all levels. Um, you know, when we adopted our first son from Vietnam, you know, what they told us when we left the orphanage, remember you're so happy, and the United States is gaining a new citizen, but Vietnam is losing a citizen, and your child's losing his first family. And so, you know, on many levels, it is such a tragedy, um, because, you know, for our, our son River, he was born as a Vietnamese citizen, um, he he doesn't know his birth family, we don't don't know his birth family, And so there's a lot that's lost that he will never get back that we can't replace or replicate. Um, So I think it's important that people understand when it comes to adoptees, um, you know, how they feel towards their adoption is important and their voice matters because they've lost the most. Um, And so I always try to, you know, people are like, oh, your kids are so lucky. And and Yeah, I get what they're saying. They're lucky, you know, we've tried to provide a great life, but no one who has lost everything can ever, I think, be called lucky. And so I think we have to to think from, you know, both standpoints. Like, yeah, it was our greatest joy getting our son in Vietnam, but, you know, for, for his birth family and for a part of him, it was his greatest loss. And so, um, we kind of having this epiphany in Vietnam, we realized we really, the next time, you know, we adopt, it's going to be a kid who really is waiting on a family. And so kid number two, that's exactly, uh, that was kind of like the mindset we were in going into adoption number two. And so we decided to pursue a special needs adoption, um, an older child, and so uh, we had intentions, we looked around in the U.S., and, and we're trying to find out what is the best situation um, that we can adopt a child uh, without it being disruptive to our first child who had been suffering some, um, some after effects of his adoption. And so it just turned out that, again, we found ourselves overseas after looking um, at some adoption things in the U.S. that just didn't pan out. And we came across a picture of a little four-year-old boy who needed a family. Had been waiting for a good four years, um, had some needs, and we just, you know, you see their picture and you're like, "I, that's my kid." You know, um, it's hard to explain. Again, one of those unexplainable things. So it turns out um, that Avi and River are about the same age. So Avi's the second kid and uh Avi was in Hong Kong, China, and we saw his picture and again started the process. Uh he came home at age 4, and he is actually 13 right now. So he we kind of broke birth order um and brought home a child that was 6 months older than our first <laughs> child, which is kind of, you know, it's kind of a touchy subject. Um but anyway so that that's kind of how that went again the same this adoption process you know they're all different but it was pretty much the same paperwork time waiting money and then you finally travel um and so Avi is our second kid and uh he came home from hong kong at age four he's now 13 uh, Avi has some significant special needs, but has come a long, long way, and it's been it's been neat to be a part of it for sure.
0: So this is like incredible. Um, you have your your hands very full. You know, as you were when you were parent, uh, childless, and you mm-hmm. were thinking about becoming parents. Like, did you? <laughs> there's, for lack of a better way to put it did you have any idea what you were getting into, especially, you know, being a parent with some special circumstances?
1: Right. Uh, We thought we knew. (laughs) We had no idea what we were getting into. And, um, I mean, I don't think anyone can ever be prepared for parenthood, really. But we especially did not know. And I think it's good. I think it's good we didn't know the extent of how hard it was going to be because we probably would have chickened out and that would have been awful. Cause I wouldn't get to be Avi's mom. Um, and so, yeah, it's been a long, hard journey. And, uh, you know, there are times where I just think, I, I don't know if I'm the person to do this. Am I good enough to do this? What am I doing? Am I, you know, am I good at this? Um, but I will say I'm so glad that we we did it <laughs> obviously but no had no idea um it was quite a shock even just meeting Avi and, and the realization setting in of you know okay we got a lot of work to do and we got to keep this kid safe and get him the help he needs um and let him live his best life I mean yeah we had no idea.
0: And so you mentioned special needs like mm-hmm. did they explain to you ahead of time like this is what he's been diagnosed with and what you'll probably need do They had some ideas do?
1: about his needs so we, they were upfront with the things he struggled with you know like they were upfront um, okay. And but you know medical care is different in different parts of the world so it wasn't like okay here's his list of diagnoses and outcomes and therapies and all of that stuff um it was just like, here, here's what he can do and here's what he struggles with. And so that's basically all we knew, you know, going into it. Um, and so, of course, once he was home was when the real process began of trying to figure out, okay, what's going on? What do we need to do to help him? Um, so it's, it, that was a long journey, just trying to tease apart uh, what's going on.
0: And so what, what ended up being the sort of diagnosis or situation or how, what kind of help were you able to start providing?
1: Yeah, so um, it, it turns out that we do have an autism diagnosis as well as uh, we suspect fetal alcohol syndrome. Um, and, you know, of course, being in two different orphanages since birth, Uh, there was a lot of neglect. Um, the second orphanage he was in was fantastic. The first one, not so much. Um, so it's kind of, uh, we're at the place where we have a child, uh, with, um, significant speech impairment, autism, suspected fetal alcohol syndrome, and and a lot of past trauma, PTSD. Um, and I mean, What's amazing, though, is that he has turned into quite an amazing young man um, who people just fall in love with him wherever he goes. And uh, it turns out he's a bit of a genius in math. <laughs> like, he can do college-level math. Um, so it's been really interesting to see, like, this little genius emerge out of this kid. Um, so he struggles. I You know, I... Most people don't really know the the extent to what he struggles unless they know him intimately in everyday life. Um, But he's a happy kid. He's doing great. You know, there's lots of therapy and medications involved. Um, But, I mean, I'm hopeful for him for the future and for having a happy life. And that's really what we want for him.
0: You know, looking back at the young you, would you have ever foreseen yourself as, becoming having mother as one of the primary identifiers of you in your adult life.
1: Oh gosh, no, you know, there was a long period of time where I didn't even know if I wanted to be a mom. Um, you know, I went to college, went to graduate school and I was so engrossed in that world and about career that, you know, it really was like, I just didn't think about it that much. Um, it wasn't that I I didn't want kids. It was just, it wasn't in the forefront of thought And, um, so, yeah, you know, it's, it's just kind of funny because that's definitely not what I would have envisioned at all. Um, so it's kind of funny how it's worked out.
0: You know, it's, it's also interesting because often I still think this is true today, even though it's starting to change a bit, that women are kind of forced to choose between career and motherhood, not always, Uh but often. Um, just by nature of the demands that being a, a mother requires. So did you ever feel that way? Um, actually, maybe you could talk a little bit about your former career, which I find pretty fascinating.
1: Sure. So, um, you know, I moved to Nashville, Tennessee, uh, for the sole purpose of going to graduate school at Vanderbilt uh, in biochemistry. So I ended up in research afterwards at Vanderbilt. Um, And about the time my first son came home, um, I started looking into other things where I could still be in the world of science, but have a more flexible career. And that's when I got into teaching. I started teaching at the college level. um, And it was a great fit. And I enjoyed it. I was still teaching full time, working full time, um, you know, with my son. And it just, it was flexible enough where it felt manageable. Um, but when, once my second son came home with a lot of his needs and and everything, um, it became apparent that working full-time was probably not gonna happen. And so I had tried for his first year home. I was, I was still working full-time and it was tough with therapies and, and all kinds of issues that arise. Uh, Yeah, it was hard. And so I really did have to stop and make a decision. I loved what I was doing, teaching science. Um, But I knew that, you know, I'm a mom and uh, Avi, my middle son with all the needs, uh, he needed me. And so it was really a no brainer for me. I didn't feel like I was necessarily choosing like job or children. Like I just knew, okay, he needs me that's, you know, that's going to be my job right now. Um, And so there really wasn't ever a time where I was upset about it. Um, Of course, you know, financially, you do kind of think like, oh, if I could work full time, you know, it'd be a little less stressful. Um, But, you know, it worked out. And now I get to teach part time and uh, still have time for my kids and, and their needs. So I feel like I'm just really lucky in that regard because I do have a balance of, I still get to do a little bit of what I love. Um, but I also have enough time in the day to do what my kids need me to do. And I know a lot of women don't get that, you know, that might have to choose between, uh, working at all and staying home. And so it's just really tough. Um, because, and I know I, it's, it's hard because, there is a sense of accomplishment from working that I missed when I was home and not working part time for a year or two. It was hard not having that source of adult interaction and um, just that sense of accomplishment outside of motherhood. It is important, I think, for a lot of women, and so being able to do both, I, I realize like how lucky I am. Um, and you know, I, I also know that. Being a mom, things ebb and flow, and right now my kids really need me, uh, especially the one with special needs. Um, and that'll change, you know, as they get older, then it's, you know, uh, things change and maybe I'll be back to working full time. It's not permanent. Uh, so I think just keeping those things in mind really just paints the bigger picture, and I don't feel like I'm missing out on on either side of the coin.
0: Wow. It's such a good way to put it and such a good mindset. And, and from what, how, what we've been talking about so far, you've, you've been really, I don't know, maybe it's a gift of yours that you come to a decision-making point and you feel that it's right and you do it. And a lot of people waffle for years. They can't make a decision. It's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like maybe good or bad, that could probably be bad sometimes. But yeah, I do feel like once I feel this is this is it, then I just I make the decision. Um, And you know, it's worked out okay. (laughs) It's
0: been great. Okay, so here you are, you are probably in your early 30s, you've got River, you've got Avi, you've been told you won't have your own biological child without a whole lot of expensive, um you know, procedures. Mm-hmm. So what happens next? Oh,
1: you know, the classic, my, my kids are home for a few years and I get pregnant. <laughs> Out of the blue, um, the shock of a lifetime. It was so funny. Uh, how it happened because I mean obviously we know how it happened
0: but the realization <laughs> <laughs> well first of all there actually I can't even imagine that you had a lot of time to have some right. sexy time to make it happen right uh, so, well and it was so funny
1: because it was actually my husband who was like Lauren I think you're pregnant <laughs> and I was like no there's no way um, I remember being in my kitchen cooking dinner, you know, about to drink a glass of wine and my husband calls and he's like, you know what, Lauren, I'm going to bring you home a pregnancy test. And I thought, sure, whatever, we'll take it and laugh about it. Well, I took the pregnancy test and it was uh, positive. And so I thought, well, there, you know, clearly there's something wrong with the test. Um, It can't be that I'm pregnant. And so after I would say about five more pregnancy tests, yes, I made him run out and get more pregnancy tests. um, It kind of sunk in that, wow, maybe maybe I really am. And yeah, I was. Uh, And I think it took a while to sink in. And um, yeah, so ended up with another little boy, three boys.
0: Wow. Okay. So this was not planned. I mean, had you planned on, um, adopting another child? No. We so were you were not- done. You were done. <laughs> we were done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. So did this upset the scales a little bit or was it like a somewhat smooth transition? Cause you've already been through like tough, you right. know, early parenting.
1: Uh, it was crazy because people see me, doctors, friends, everybody sees me as a mom. But I had never been pregnant before, much less I'd never had a newborn or baby. I mean, my first son was a year old and Albie was four years old. Um, So it was literally like being a first time mom while parenting two other kids. Um, And so it was crazy for me. It was uh, I mean, it was great. We were excited. It was a good thing. It was just like, I have no idea what I'm doing Uh, I was still working full-time. This was kind of in that period where I was working full-time still. Uh, Avi had been home about a year. And, uh, yeah, it was just kind of a crazy, exciting time. And, again, I had no idea what I was getting into. And even though I'd been through all of these crazy scenarios, you know, getting my kids and parenting my kids, I was clueless about pregnancy and newborns and babies in general.
0: (laughs) So was your, you had to learn all of that and was your, was your pregnancy, you know, smooth?
1: Uh, you know, the first half was pretty smooth, pretty typical. And then the last half, uh, kind of everything went downhill, unfortunately, a lot of stress. Um, during this time, my son, Avi, who had been home about a year was really struggling. Just, uh, we, we weren't there yet and trying to figure out what he needed help wise. And so he was kind of in the midst of really struggling And here I was pregnant and about the same time, um, you know, I'm, I'm like halfway into my pregnancy. I, it turns out I, I have gestational diabetes and, uh, and it was just kind of, um, you know, I lost a grandmother during that time who I was close to, it was kind of all this rainfall, this waterfall of just kind of sad stuff happening. And, uh, you know, I had gestational diabetes. I had a son struggling. I was helping plan a funeral. Um, and then I had preterm labor and was basically in and out of the hospital the last half of my pregnancy, um, trying to, to keep labor from happening. So it was just, you know, I, I ended up with a healthy baby, um, you know, almost full term. So I'm grateful for that. And I know it could have been much worse and, and
0: people go through much worse, but
1: it wasn't, Exactly. You know, a smooth sailing type of pregnancy, unfortunately.
0: Wow. Okay, so your husband probably had to step in a lot, too. Not that he wasn't already involved, but like you're pregnant, you're dealing with your own emotional and physical issues during pregnancy and you have kids who need Something you need you guys more than ever. Uh-huh. Oh my yeah. gosh, yeah! I was so tough. how was your relationship with your husband during? I would probably consider this maybe one of your higher pressure buildup points.
1: Yeah, I mean, when I look back at my life, I'm like that little period of time was probably one of the worst of my life just because we were trying to deal with everything at once, um, and it was stressful, it was stressful for everyone. Um, But my husband was great during that. You know, um, he really, he did what needed to be done. uh, And it was, yeah, it was very helpful. We don't have family really nearby in Nashville. So he did have to take on a lot um, in trying to help us all, (laughs) especially when the the baby arrived. Um, And it was great. It was, um, yeah, it was tough, but we got through it.
0: Wow. You know, going back to... uh, all the things that you learned in your experiences I, I would say like becoming a mom the way you did was just intense like it's intense that for is. anyone but like welcoming children into your life at different ages and stages and like kind of have to having to learn each age and stage as you went all kids are different no matter what but it's just intense right yeah um and sure. i would I would guess it would put strain on any relationship like was there ever a time when you guys hit a super low point and wanted in in the back of your mind you were like maybe this is it
1: oh yeah for sure um and even just you know in recent years as my my two sons who who were adopted have gotten older they have faced um issues regarding their adoption and um Processing trauma and loss, you know, you kind of hit those different developmental milestones, and things crop up, you know, for, that have been lurking under the surface. And so, uh, you know, a few years ago, we started down a path with with River, um, who was really struggling emotionally, uh, and there were some really, really tough times where, uh, you know it's kind of like you're in survival mode and the last thing you can think of is trying to have, you know, building your marriage or taking care of, of each other your as you know, spouses should, because you're just trying to keep your head above water. The whole family's stressed. You know, you, we were in and out of hospitals these past couple of years um, and treatment centers and it's just, everyone's in survival mode. And so, I mean, you just, you detach from each other uh, you know, everybody's hurt, and everybody's hurting and stressed out. And it's not, a, you know, a good place to be when you're in a relationship. And so yeah, we've definitely struggled. Um, and, and thankfully, we've come through it. And I think we're better for it. But Oh, yeah, I mean, there, there's been several periods of time where I look back, and I'm like, how did we make it through that? I don't, I don't even know.
0: I mean, what advice do you have for people who are looking at their partner right now and thinking, I don't think it's going to work?
1: You know, I think when you, you get to those times, you just it's kind of like a sit and wait, because if you're in the midst of some kind of personal or family Event that is stressful and it looks like it's never going to change or get better I think the thing that keeps me going and from making like rash decisions is this is not permanent This is awful. This sucks. I cannot see past it Um, I can't see the the light at the end of the tunnel But I know this is not permanent and so that's kind of like my my mantra to myself Uh when i'm in these really bad times, you know, like we're just gonna sit and we're gonna live it and we're going to get through it, and then we work on it, and then that's really what we did.
0: Wow, I love that. I think that's totally legit, you guys. Everybody listening, this is not permanent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the hard part is that even the joyful moments are not permanent. But we're not going to right. think about that. Right. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so as many many people listening are parents with children, maybe similar age to yours. With River, how did his symptoms manifest? Like, what was going on where you realized he was struggling with some internal issues?
1: Sure. So, you know, when we first, the very first night with River, when he was a little one-year-old, we knew right away that, okay, this is a child who is traumatized. This is a child who's suffered neglect and possibly abuse um, in his first year of life. Uh, so it was really evident from the beginning, like, whoa, there's some stuff going on. Um, and so, you know, again, first time parents didn't know anything, didn't have anything to compare it to. So we, you know, we're raising River and he's just the greatest kid. I love being his mom. And, you know, like I said before, when kids hit certain developmental milestones, um, you know, you see these Things that have been lurking under the surface now pop up, you know, as their brain is developing. And so, when he got into be, you know, first and second grade, we could see there were there were some things that were coming out um, verbally and behaviorally that just didn't seem to be appropriate for his age. Um, He would verbalize feelings of low self-worth and question his place in the family, in the world, and uh, be very sad for no apparent reason, um, which are things that you wouldn't typically see in a six- and seven-year-old all the time. And so we knew, um, you know, that we're dealing with some issues uh, that were coming out, which is to be expected for a kid who's had trauma and neglect in their past. You know, kids don't come out of orphanages and and uh and just act like it never happened it sh- is shaped you know their brain when they were developing that first year of life and so uh you know you just kind of ride it you ride the wave of what what do we do next okay therapy okay what do we do Well, we, you know, what's next? And so now that he's gotten older, you know, middle school, he's in middle school. Middle school's tough. I teach a middle school class. Middle school is tough for any kid. I look back and I remember middle school just being tough. It's just a weird developmental, like, stage. And he's in that right now. And then, you know, on top of the normal middle school, preteen, teenager kid stuff, he's dealing with these, inside feelings of loss and sadness and attachment issues, um, with us. And so it just all bubbles out. And, um, you know, we've seen it kind of bubbling out along the way and we've just done our best to meet him where he's at and do what he needs, you know, for that time period.
0: I think it's, um, I think it it we hear more today about young kids having like depression and anxiety, and when I was growing <laughs> up when we were growing up you 're about ten years younger than me, but I would probably think it was roughly the same. We just didn't hear about that. maybe some of us were experiencing those things as children, but it just wasn 't like diagnosed and right. treated as as much i don 't think absolutely, but maybe this is a good time to segue to. I think another important topic today, which is your own journey with anxiety and depression. And yeah. and it's interesting to me because you're open about this on social media, so it's not a secret we're letting out of the bag. Right. But, you know, you might think, oh, well, Lauren's better equipped to help deal with the, you know, things that her children are going through because she was there at some point and, and has had her own journey. So I think maybe that's a good starting point. Like, do you feel like you can relate more? Or does it feel completely separate from your experiences?
1: I feel like on a very small level, I can relate to the anxiety and depression part. You know, I did not suffer loss or abuse or neglect as a child. Um, So in that arena, you know, I have no basis for comparison, only what I've learned and can imagine. Um, But when it comes to the, the other parts of it that include, you know, crippling anxiety and depression, I absolutely understand how that manifests and how it feels.
0: Um, how does it feel? Like, how did it manifest for you? And how did it feel? Or does it still feel?
1: Yeah, you know, it's, and I know a lot of us, a lot of us, whether we get treatment or not, are dealing with anxiety and depression. Um, and anxiety especially I have dealt with since I can, you know, ever remember my first earliest memories um, are riddled with anxiety. And I remember being very young. And I didn't know at the time what they were. But in retrospect, as a grown adult, <laughs> I can see that, you know, uh, those were panic attacks in a child. And you you don't really hear about Children having panic attacks because it it does feel and look different than in adults. Um, But absolutely, now in retrospect, I can look back and be like, oh, my gosh, that I was like six years old and having a panic attack. I didn't know what it was at the time and I couldn't express it, you know, to tell anybody. Um, And so it manifested as my stomach hurts. You know, I remember telling my mom and dad I was like in kindergarten and first grade and I kept saying my stomach hurts. And so, of course, like you said back then, I think, um, you know, for whatever reason, anxiety and depression in childhood wasn't something that people talked about or diagnosed um, or looked at as it could be a possible explanation for something. And so I remember having to go all over the place for tests, for medical tests, because, you know, Ruddy was just thought there has to be something wrong with her stomach because she's always complaining that her stomach hurts. And, you know, of course, the tests turned up nothing. And, um, you know, I just went on with my life. And as you get older, like we all do, you just learn to cope with things, you know. Um, So, yeah, anxiety has always been a part of my life. And I've just always spent a lot of time and energy trying to deal and cope with it. Um, and it wasn't until just recently, like really recently, that I said, enough is enough. You know, I'm about to be 39 years old. Uh, you know, my kids who are struggling see psychiatrists and, you know, uh, go to therapy. Why am I not taking care of myself? If I'm telling my kids how important it is, you know, their mental health and and getting treatment, why am I not doing it for myself? So uh, yeah, uh, actually, at the end of last year, I started seeing a psychiatrist, I'm on medication. Um, and it's been life changing. And I wish I'd done it earlier.
0: Wow. Okay, a few points I want to, I want to get to with this thread. Um, I'm thinking back to the young you and I'm thinking about your parents. And all we really have are our own experiences to shape the way we parent, right? So do you ever look back and think, oh, mom and dad, I wish you (laughs) could have helped me more or helped understand this more or whatever. Do you just tell me more about that part of the journey? Because it sounds like you made a point where you said, I just learned how to cope, but that just, it's a it's sad. It's a bummer. Like you shouldn't have to, as a six, seven, eight, 10 year old girl, like have to learn how to cope. Yeah. So I don't know. What do you, what's your experience with that or thoughts?
1: You know, I mean, at the time, no one, I, I think it just wasn't the forefront of doctors and parents' minds that, hey, she could have an anxiety disorder. I mean, she's six. What does she have to be anxious over? Right. But we now know it's, it's a biochemical imbalance you know, um, and it's beyond our control in some cases. And so, um, I just, yeah, I mean, it's not their fault. I, it was just, you know, it's like the saying, when you know better, you do better. And I just, back then it was different. And I think you, you, there's really nothing else you can't be Yeah. It would have been great if like back then there would have been someone, a doctor would have been like, you know, have you ever thought that maybe it's anxiety? Um, it just wasn't at the forefront of of their line of thinking, I guess, at the time, for whatever reason. Um, and I'm glad it's different now, because I I have children who struggle immensely um, because of their past. So I feel a sense of, like, I don't know, relief, I guess, that I am very aware of their mental health and, and can help them and get the help they need without too much stigma attached. Um, but, yeah, I mean... You know, sometimes I think, oh, how different would it have been for my life had I gotten help for anxiety like earlier? I mean, if, even in my 20s, like, man, what a difference it would have made. Um,
0: but, yeah, I mean, who knows? So, Yeah, yeah, I get it. I mean, y- you can't really turn back the clock. It's just interesting to think back on it and go, hmm, does this help inform the way that I'm approaching it with my children, looking back on what I wish I had done? Yeah. Um but you know regardless having having to face this young not knowing what it was, kind of being told it was nothing and then having to find your own coping mechanisms through your like childhood definitely had to shape a bit of like who you are today, why you do the things you do. So what what are some of the ways that you coped and and how did they shape who you are today? Sure. I mean You know, I look back in my life
1: and I, we probably all have instances, whether we struggle with anxiety or not of like things that maybe we just didn't do because we were scared of. Um, I think we all have those things, but I look back and I see that I really did avoid a lot of things because of my anxiety. Um, I let it control my life a lot. And so, um, you know that was one of my coping mechanisms avoid avoid anything that you know where you might have a panic attack or or that triggers your anxiety even worse so there was a lot of avoiding people and places um you know the retreating to your to yourself i try throughout the years meditation and just you know the classic listening to music going outside for a walk all those things that are great and people tell you to do but, you know, if you have a true disorder, it's it's not the, I guess, cure or the thing that's going to help propel you forward and, and to do better. Um, so, yeah, you know, it was always just trying to cope with the after effects of of um, anxiety. And it really did come out in a lot of avoidance and in missing out on opportunities.
0: Uh, well, guess what? You are not missing out anymore. You <laughs> find, You know what? Some people never get help. And it's yeah. crazy to think, like, you helped your kids before you really helped you. Oh, but yeah. That's how, I mean, that's a sign, sure sign, that you are you are a mother. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it but, was funny.
1: All these years, like, taking my kids and getting help and really diving in. And I'm like, man, I should really be doing this for myself, you know, just have the time. <laughs>
0: Can we talk a little bit about medication? I think um it's a bit of a polarizing topic. Oh, yeah. I think people judge around medication for depression, for anxiety, yeah. for mental health issues. Um but you said it it has changed your life dramatically.
1: Yeah, you know, um I like the way it was explained to me. Uh when you when you get help for anxiety and depression and some people maybe don't need to go as far as medication and that's great. And I, I believe there, there are people who, who can get the help they need without medication, but for those who need it, and I believe there are a lot of people who need it. Um, it doesn't make it go away. It's not like I took a pill and now I don't have anxiety and depression. It is something, it's a tool that allows you to develop healthy, perspective in your own mind and healthy ways to deal with your anxiety. I mean, I take medication and I still battle anxiety. It's not like it erases it or just makes me happy all the time and and chilled out. It's not like that at all. It really is just a tool that kind of lifts the veil in your brain so that you can see things as they really are and uh, your brain can judge them as they really are uh, and you, you're better equipped to deal with it. Like you should be. Um, and so that's what I have found with medication, that it really is just a tool that is very helpful.
0: You know, it's interesting too, in our current society, a lot of people are after the quick fix. So maybe they're like, yeah, just give me the meds, you know, it's yeah. the opposite yeah. mindset, but then they're not also including the important therapy tool or the other tools that they need.
1: Oh, I agree. And even, you know, what the biggest thing I've learned in, you know, we have been in all kinds of therapies over the last five, six, seven years with my kids. And, you know, when you look at it for someone who really, truly needs help, medication is like 10 percent, maybe 20 percent of the answer and therapy um, and doing doing the work, you know, whatever that is. Uh, for your case is really like the bulk, the 80% that is going to make the difference.
0: So doing the work, what does that mean? <laughs> what kind I'm of therapy just, are you doing? Uh, well, for me,
1: it's probably a lot simpler than for like uh, other people and my kids included. Uh, but for me, it is just... Like, I never realized for 38 years that my main coping strategy was avoidance. I mean, it was obvious I was avoiding things, but in my mind, I rationalized it. And I didn't realize that that was my main coping strategy is just avoidance. And that's not really a coping strategy. It's a mal, I guess, adaptive a coping strategy. And so it's just sometimes like my therapy is just realizing like, what are you actually doing? You know, you're running away is <laughs> not an answer. Um And so sometimes it's just simple things on how to, how to have healthy coping mechanisms and skills. Like, what does that look like? And how can you practice
0: it? Okay, let's, Let's make another little segue then into a coping skill that is a big part of your identity today and how I came across you and what we started (laughs) the episode on, which is physical fitness. Yeah. Um, You're a runner. In fact, uh, you can follow Lauren at Lauren Runs Wild. Is there like an underscore in there somewhere? I think so. Uh,
1: You know, I should know because it's my own handle, but I think it's Lauren and then underscore
0: runs wild. All right, you guys, and that'll be in the show notes too. But definitely you're gonna wanna follow Lauren because you know, Lauren, you are just one of those re everyone's a real person, okay? Don't get me wrong here, but you are someone who is humbly open and wants to help others through your journey. So I applaud that. Thank you. Huge way. Um but let's talk a little bit about running. So you, you didn't, you haven't been like a hardcore runner your whole life. Oh, Maybe. No, huh? Yeah. Let's share your athletic journey. Okay. Um, you know, even right
1: now, as you called me a runner, I, I almost giggle to myself like that. Anyone's calling <laughs> me a runner. I'm like, Oh yeah, that's me. Um, I was not like the athletic kid. I mean, I was active and, and in good shape, but I was, I didn't play sports. I was, Never would anyone look at me and say, you know, that's that's an athlete right there. Um, So, you know, I I have always loved the outdoors and I've always been active in the outdoors. That's been very important to me. But it wasn't until I was in my 30s. Um, that I decided to run. And funny enough, I've always hated running prior to becoming a runner. (laughs) I thought it was like the worst torture. I used to make fun of people like, why, who would pay to run? You know, that's just crazy. Um, And it actually was when my second son came home, Avi, uh, who was struggling big time, I realized that, you know, here I am trying to manage my anxiety Uh, and be a good mom and and I needed an outlet I needed something and so I kind of combined my love of the outdoors with something to get healthy because I was kind of in this mindset that like okay I need I need space I need something just for mom I need to be able to go out and do something and you know I need to to I need to get in shape like I was so out of shape I had not been as active stressed out with motherhood Um, And I had this thought like, hey, I'm going to run a 5K. (laughs) And uh, I don't know. I just kind of struck me like that's something I can do outside and I can you know, start to get in shape. It'll be great. I'll run a 5K. And so I signed up for a 5K that actually benefited um, an organization that helps families with special needs. I saw that they were having a a 5K to raise money. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to train for that and I'm going to run it. And so I did. Um, And you know, at the end of it, I'm like, huh, that didn't suck too badly. You know, that was actually like I enjoyed it. And so I kept running and ran like a half marathon. And I was like, dang, I ran a half marathon. Uh, And then that very next month, I got hit with pregnancy (laughs) after my race. So that kind of, um, you know, put things on hold for a little bit. And after my son was born, so uh, that's Forrest, he's now six. I was like, okay, I bought me a pair of trail running shoes. And I said, that's it. I am going to be a trail runner. Uh, I, you know, I love the outdoors. I want to be outside and have an outlet. Uh, I was feeling great after I ran. It really does help relieve stress and makes my mind clear and I can think and just felt good. So I uh, started running some trails and did some trail races and Uh, you know, I saw something pop up maybe on Facebook or something for a 50 K in my hometown of Chattanooga. And I was like, I'm going to run a 50 K look at me. I'm such a badass, you know, like I'm going to run a 50 K now. And there's, there's something you should know about me. I am slow. Like I call myself a trail sloth. Like I will never place. I'm not very fast. Um, but I enjoy it so much that I I just don't care. (laughs) Um, and so I signed up for this 50 K and I trained really hard for it. And, you know, I crossed that finish line with tears in my eyes because I could not believe that I did it. And, you know, I, you know, full disclosure, I was DFL. I was dead freaking last, Uh, (laughs) um, but I didn't care. I was ecstatic. I crossed, the finish line of a really tough 50k. And I was so damn proud of myself. Like it really was life changing because I was like, look at me, look what I can do. Um, And so it was great. That was kind of just opened the door. And as soon as I ran that first 50k, it was like ultra running is life. Like I want to run all the ultras. I want to feel the pain and the suffering, but also the like You know, the good effects, like the accomplishment and my mind is so clear and I feel so good. Uh, Just that mixture of crazy emotions. I just loved it. Um, And so here I am like five years later, still running ultras, (laughs) not much faster, but a little bit.
0: I just love this. You know, we were we were chatting previous to the interview um, about this idea of how When we're kids and our kids, even now we're praised for performance, which I think there's some validity in that, but Mm -hmm. also it would be great to be praised for enjoying an activity just for the pure enjoyment. Because like when you're a kid, if you're not a good runner, you're not necessarily going to say, I love this. Right. Yeah. And, Absolutely, And maybe we're lucky that you found running later and you could really sink into the joy of it. But wouldn't it just be great if you could have found that love early on to help you in those early years, too? <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. I think back, I'm like, man, when I was so young and like full of energy, why wasn't I a trail runner? Um, but yeah, it's funny because... You know, even for the first year that I was running, I was so, like, I didn't want anybody to call me a runner. I didn't want people to see me run. Um, I just felt so self-conscious. I, you know, um, I don't know. It was just ingrained into me, like, you're not an athlete. What do you, what right do you have to be out here running a race, you know? Uh, and... Yeah, just you have to like overcome that mindset. And I think it comes with age, like as you mature, and then it's kind of like, fuck it. I don't I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care who sees me. I don't care. I don't care if I'm last, you know, and there was that transition in mindset. And I just go out because I love it. I mean, it is what just brings me so much joy in life. And I hope to be running, you know, as a 99-year-old woman stumbling through the, you know, <laughs> the woods, up mountains. That's going to be me. That's what I want. Oh, my gosh. I
0: love it. That's <laughs> such an incredible vision I have for you right now. <laughs> um, and, yes, you know, it would be wonderful if our, if we didn't have had to go through those angst-filled years of middle school like we talked about and if our (laughs) kids didn't have to go through it and and we could say we don't care what people think when we're younger but you know inevitably it just takes time to get to this place of self-confidence and you know you may have gotten there a little earlier than other people because I don't know you were dealing with things a little bigger younger you know earlier in your life so sure um, okay I think, you know, we've been on for a while and I've been thinking about that. We've really talked a lot about three very big topics and I thought it might be kind of good to take a step back and think about each one and I'll, I'll present them to you and maybe you can share a word, a phrase or a synopsis to sort of describe what each of these big categories in your life mean to you okay all right so let's just step back and think about we started with motherhood Mm -hmm. you know what comes to mind it can just be a word a phrase or synopsis like what does motherhood mean to you oh
1: my gosh motherhood has been the hardest um but most rewarding thing I've ever been a part of For sure. Um, I had no idea how hard (laughs) it was going to be, and we have a little, some extra issues thrown in, uh, but it has been the greatest joy, even in the worst times.
0: Wow, that's such a good way to put it. All right, let's talk about your battle with some mental health issues. What does that mean to you? How did it shape you? What word comes to mind?
1: Um. You know, that's hard. And the only thing I can think of is just like owning it and self acceptance. I think for so long it's like I didn't want to tell anybody I had anxiety. Like, you know, I'm a I, I guess I'm I'm a nerd, you know, I was a scientist. Um I understand how you know, I was a biochemist. I understand exactly what's going on in my brain. And it was so it almost felt embarrassing to have to go to a doctor and admit like I have these irrational fears and anxiety and panic attacks. Um and I was worried, what would that look like? Like I feel so silly. And so I think that part of overcoming my anxiety and the depression that goes with it is just owning it and being um just accepting like that is what it is and I can either do something to get better or continue to suffer with it. And I think that was my biggest and this is like just happening. Like this is Last year, (laughs) when I made this epiphany.
0: Wow. I love that. And you have so many years to live that, with that philosophy now. How cool. Um, Okay, so then let's hit on running and embracing your athlete, no matter what level of athlete you are, embracing that part of yourself.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, like, we are all, like, homo sapiens, (laughs) we are all meant to move, and it should feel good. It should be hard and hurt, but it should also feel good. And I really do believe this as a species. We are made to move. And I know a lot of people don't like to run, but I th- I feel like we are made to run. And uh, I don't know. I just feel like, you know, people, some people who are not runners probably look at me and get so annoyed. Like all she talks about is running and trail running in the mountains, but it is like breathed new life into my life. It is giving me so much time to think about what's important in life. um, And to just enact what is important in life that it has been the biggest gift to me in my life is, is trail running and being on the trail and getting to cover large amounts of trail as a runner. Um, You know, I've done things that never in a million years I thought I would be capable of doing. And I did them and I still sometimes don't know how I did them. Um, And so it's just been like the greatest gift of trail running and ultra running.
0: It really is. And it's very funny because a lot of people might be like trails. I can't find trails. I'll tell you something. I grew up in the Chicago suburbs. I don't know why, but kids, we don't see trails. But somehow Mm -hmm. as an adult, I go back there and they're everywhere. Yeah, Those beautiful trails and nature preserves and through alleys and parts yep. of cities and towns you'd never expect. And hey, I even called dirt roads trails.
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I feel like, you know, and I have to run roads and, and through parts of towns and, and even out where I live. And, you know, it's it's something even if you can't get to a trail all the time, there's something about this process of running and training and accomplishing things Um I don't know, it just you get more connected to your body and to your mind. And everything just makes better sense. I don't really know (laughs) how to explain it. But it really is just this really neat thing that happens when you run and you start to run distance and you're depending on your own two legs. And um, yeah, it's just amazing.
0: It's funny, because um, we're speaking about it in more sort of spiritual terms, but you are a biochemist. lady. Yes, yes. I I know, <laughs> I know, right? And I can
1: and it's funny because, you know, I'm always thinking like biochemically, like in recovery and the foods I eat, and I'm really big on all of that. But then there's this other aspect that's like so anti science because I'm like it is it's like a spiritual experience. Um my buddy and I undertook this self supported ultra through on the Appalachian Trail through the Smokies. And um man, was that I had no idea it was it was a spiritual, like, reckoning on that mountain. Um, and I felt like I had gone through some kind of a spiritual awakening after that trip. Um, it was crazy, you know, maybe it was all the endorphins flowing and, and everything. Um, but yeah, it's it's crazy how much meaning something like a run can give to your life. It really is unexplainable.
0: Oh, you have just put everything so well. Well, we are down to the end here. We're going to wrap it with a final question I ask all my guests, Okay. which is if you can leave our listeners with one final piece of advice, one little nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be? Oh, man, just
1: get out there and find what you love and do it and don't care what anyone says or thinks. Like, just do it and, you know... Keep your eyes on your own goals and just get out there. Start today.
0: Start today. I love it, Lauren. I'm about to get out there right now then. It's been so awesome talking to you. You guys, you can follow Lauren. She's going to turn 39. She's going to be running our Instagram on the weekends in February. Um, and, uh, if you want to reach out, if anyone wants to reach out to you, uh, can they find you through Instagram or how should they do that? Yeah, sure. Find me
1: on Instagram. I'd love to hear from you.
0: Awesome. All right. Over and out. All right. Thanks. All right. All right. I am back. Awesome episode. Amazing woman. Very inspirational. Um, I'm definitely motivated and I'm definitely Even more motivated to make sure I take care of myself through all the stuff that life hands us. We need to hang on to ourselves. Um, To get in touch with Lauren, check out her, actually follow her on Instagram. Do it right now. It's Lauren underscore runs wild. She is super cool. She will reply if you message her Um, And I think she could be a really great resource for anybody who has questions about the experiences she's been through. Um, On a final note, Skirt Sports, we have entered 2020 and it feels very refreshing. We are introducing new things and new feels good right now. Um, what's funny is one of the new things is used products. <laughs> I kind of keep laughing that it's new used stuff. Um, but we have entered this really just incredible world of what you call re-commerce, where um, we are selling previously loved clothing for a much uh, lower prices. Um, because here's the deal skirt sports products, they last 10 or more years. I mean, I have people who are wearing our very first season ever, that's 15 years ago, and they're still great. And um, the reality is that our bodies don't stay the same for 10 or more years. And what fit us then doesn't fit us now for whatever reason, or styles change, or, or tastes change, or you don't like that color anymore but the product is still pristine or good enough for somebody else to give it another life. Um, So check out a new little section on Skirt Sports. It's actually very creatively called Shop Used. (laughs) Sometimes we find when we try to get too creative, nobody can figure out what the hell we're trying to do. So Shop Used is one of the main navigation headers on on our site now. So you can click on that and check it out, see what's up um we're also introducing actual new products we have an incredible range of new fabrics that are coming out as we speak Um, and our products are just they're getting better and better i'm really proud of what what i've created and and what my team has been able to put forth in this world It truly brings people happiness. And at the end of the day, that is my goal. And as you know, my 2020 goal is to create connection. So get over to skirt sports, check out what we have going on. we now have $4.99 flat rate shipping, which is no small feat for a small business like us. So, um, we're trying to make life a little bit easier for everybody to find what they need to pursue their own health and fitness goals. And at the end of the day, It's never too late to take care of you. All right, everybody, it's a wrap. On that note, you know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout, and we'll see you next week.